Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., but I'm coming to you from North Carolina and teaching students all over the country. Online education is a real game changer that gives us educators tons of great tools to interact with our students beyond the boring old classroom. And I'm so glad that you're spending these few minutes with me so that I can share some pearls of my pediatric experience to bring home some really important concepts in evidence-based practice. I became a nurse practitioner at a young age. In fact, as we were discussing development in my pediatric primary care program, my professor and classmates joked that I was in my late adolescence. (laughs) I'm laughing because it was true. We talked about safety and rules for teaching parents how to raise their children well. I knew that accidents were the number one cause of death in children over age one, yet on the weekend I was rappelling off cliff faces on my rock climbing trips. But I knew the right answers when those topics came up on boards and later in practice. I knew what seemed like boring basic facts like children don't need to wear hard-soled shoes until they're confident walkers in toddlerhood. So when a toddler showed up with foot wounds in the emergency department, I actually understood the recommendation and knew how to counsel the mother who just wanted her baby to wear those really cute, expensive Air Jordans. I mean, who can blame her? A bow-legged toddler in Jumpman is pretty cute, although not recommended. I say all this to bring home one point for my students and students all over the country. You don't have to be a parent to be a good pediatric provider. In fact, I think being a provider first helped me be a better mother when I finally met my husband, who was also an excellent pediatric provider without firsthand parenting experience. I had over a decade of experience when I finally became a mom. So don't ever let anyone make you feel like your care is unworthy because you've never been a parent. There are different things different skills, independent of one another. But you, as a pediatric provider, can help that parent or caregiver do a better job at helping their child grow up healthy because you know the pediatric physiology, pathophysiology, and recommendations that the evidence-based literature supports in promoting health and wellness. So with that disclaimer, I'll now say that having a child has helped me earn a little bit of street credit with daycare parents. When we put our son in daycare four months ago, he came home every week with a new fever and a new runny nose. It was annoying, relentless, and dare I say, sometimes scary. We talk about fever a lot in pediatrics because it's a common occurrence in children because they have learning immune systems. Adults don't get fever as often, and when they see it in their child, they fear the worst. They fear a life-threatening infection, which is actually pretty rare in the day and age of widespread childhood immunizations. They're afraid that high fever will fry their child's brain, which is likely misappropriating the 1990s commercial with Rachel Lee Cook frying an egg and then trashing the kitchen to warn us about the dangers of drugs on brain function. Or they're afraid that the child will have a seizure, which is not anything that we can prevent. Febrile seizures affect 2-5% to of children, so they're pretty common. There is no evidence to suggest that prophylactic antipyretics will work to prevent febrile seizures. 
So our best bet at appropriately treating this presentation is sound decision making where we ensure that there's truly no risk of severe infection to provide solid family education on the care of their child. I often see febrile seizures in the emergency department and urgent care settings, but it's certainly possible that one could show up in primary care. If you have a previously healthy, vaccinated, 6 to 60 month old child, primary care is an appropriate place for management because the focus of the exam is determining the etiology of the patient's fever. Is it a virus? An ear infection? Pneumonia? No matter what setting you're in, the initial evaluation of this presentation should examine for the cause of fever and confirm the diagnosis of simple febrile seizure by checking a few boxes. They should be primary generalized seizures. There should be documented fever by the parents within the last 24 hours or on exam that is greater than 38 degrees Celsius or 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit. The seizure should last less than 15 minutes and it should not be recurrent within 24 hours. So the presentation confirms a simple febrile seizure. If there's evidence of a complex febrile seizure where there have been multiple seizures in the past 24 hours, there's a partial seizure, the seizure lasts longer than 15 minutes, or there are other causes of concern like a prolonged postictal period, you might need to consider a neurology consult, referral to the ED for acute management, or admission for further observation and workup. If there's no fever, then the management of an afebrile seizure is much different, and we're not going to talk about that here. So let's pretend that this is a straightforward, simple febrile seizure. Like I said, if the child is previously healthy, then your job is to find out what's causing the seizure. This could be a viral URI, acute otitis media, or maybe fever without source. The biggest thing we're monitoring for is a CNS infection. So the patient would have neck stiffness, a positive Koenig or Brudzinski sign, excess irritability or lethargy, or a bulging fontanelle in infants. We're also on the lookout for anything we can treat, especially those diagnoses with potential for intracranial extension, like mastoiditis or sinusitis. In a study that examined children who were 6 to 72 months of age with febrile seizure in the absence of any other signs and symptoms, the prevalence of CNS infections was 0.2%, and the risk of bacterial meningitis was also 0.2%. So you can take your mental algorithm over to the management of whatever illness you've diagnosed. Remember that any child under six months of age or without a full primary series of Hib and pneumococcal vaccines should have a more thorough workup that includes referral to the emergency department for advanced workup like CBC, blood culture, and consideration of whether an LP and empiric antibiotics is necessary. So you've evaluated the patient and diagnosed a simple febrile seizure and managed the etiology. Awesome you're ready for this child to go home because they're back at their baseline, they're tolerating PO, and running around the room tearing up paper towels and sprinkling goldfish crumbs all over the floor. Let's get them out of here. There are two things left to do. Number one is provide the family with extensive education, and two, touch base with the primary care provider if that's not you. 
sometimes no amount of education will be enough for the family to feel comfortable taking their child home with a seizure. That's why it's really valuable to have the PCP appointment on the books for one or two days from now so that they can reinforce the education that you laid down and evaluate for any progression of illness. Maybe that viral URI turns into an AOM a few days later. If you are the PCP, make sure that your office calls the family to check in the next day and potentially every day until the patient no longer has fever. This will help relay your concern to the family while reinforcing that this is a simple illness that's appropriate for the outpatient setting. If the family doesn't get that sentiment from you, they're gonna end up in the emergency department and go home with nothing but a big bill and wasted time. So what should be included in the education that you give them? Tell them what a seizure looks like. Passing out, shaking of both arms and both legs, maybe their eyes rolled back in their head, Let them know that they might vomit, bite their tongue, or drool, and all of those things would be in the realm of normal. What should they do? Tell them to stay calm as best as they can. As crazy as it sounds, the best thing that they can do is pull out a watch or a timer and hit go to determine how long the seizure lasts. Make sure that the space around their child is safe so that they can't hurt themselves. Move them to the floor if they could fall off of something like a bed. Move furniture around them so that they have a clear space and ask other people to step back. Turn them on their side if they notice things like drooling, foaming, or vomit so that the child doesn't choke. Don't put anything in their mouth, not a wallet, not a spoon, and definitely not your fingers. Tell them what they're watching for. At the same time that they're watching the timer, they should also know that they have permission to call 911 if the situation gets out of hand. Most simple febrile seizures last less than 90 seconds, but we want to know if they're lasting too long. If their timer also makes it to five minutes, it's time to call. If the child's face turns blue, sometimes a little bit of circumoral cyanosis is common and not necessarily a red flag. But if their child stops breathing after the seizure stops, we're worried. It's normal if the seizure stops and their child stays sleepy for a little while. Tell them that you want them to call you and that you'll find a time for them to come in that day and be checked. Make sure that they have the expectation that this can happen again and that would be normal too. We talk all the time about how there are different kinds of families one-parent families, blended families, multi-generational families, and countless other features of diversity that we celebrate knowing that happy, healthy children can thrive in all kinds of environments. But let's recognize that there is diversity in the social lives of pediatric providers too. You may be the parent of a human that has your DNA, or you could be the parent of an adopted child, a foster child, or a child that belongs to a person that you love. You might be the parent of a dog that you love like it was your own child. Or maybe a plant that you named and water and prune with careful intention. There are countless features of pediatric providers that make you caring and thoughtful, no matter where you choose to extend your love when you go home from work. And the fact that you've gotten this far in the Peds NP means that you care deeply about your patients 
and I know you will work hard to manage their health and illnesses with devoted consideration. I love being a human, dog, and plant mom, but that has little to do with my ability to assess a febrile seizure. We need to gather the information, which includes immunization status, listening for red flags, and watching for signs of severe illness. And in the case of a simple febrile seizure, this can be managed in the outpatient setting without the routine use of lab studies or imaging, unless they're indicated by a suspicious history or physical findings. Now, I didn't say anything groundbreaking today. Actually, most of what I said today was reinforcement of the AAP's 2011 guidelines on the management of simple febrile seizures. But sometimes, repetition of recommended treatment concepts and a little bit of encouragement is exactly what we need to remember the evidence-based practice that helps us take best care of the kids. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.